I'm Becky Davis, employee, wellbeing and performance coach. And in this episode, I'm going to explore how do we change how we feel? So can I ask a question, first of all, why do we need to change the way that we feel? It's a real theme that's coming up in the coaching space for me. I'm hearing often from my clients who are doing things because they feel that they should do things. They are demotivated in their personal lives and their professional lives. And the joy has been sapped out of their lives a little bit. And I really feel like there's a post-COVID overhang going on. What do you think happened sort of in those two COVID years that has changed everything now? Wow. I mean, what didn't happen in those two sort of, you know, those two post-COVID years? Like it's been a momentous change for so many people. Uh, The way that we work has changed. The way that we interact has changed. You know, just think about how much time we spent wearing masks. Think back to the, you know, only being allowed out once a day for an hour. And actually in our conscious thoughts, we might not think back to that so much, but that's the way that we lived our lives for a good 18 months, two years with, with a whole load of uncertainty which changes the way that we feel it it changed the way we think which changed the way that we feel and I'm still getting that as a real theme both in the coaching space and in some workshops that I'm running like the impact that it's had on people why do you think that those two covid years demotivated people. We need a sense of purpose. Every human being needs a sense of purpose. It doesn't have to be a great sense of purpose. It doesn't have to be to save the world. It might just be to get up each day and feed your cat. You know, an elderly person has a dog or a cat. That's their purpose each day is to feed their animal. I think the commute used to be that for people. You'd get up, you'd have a shower, you'd get dressed, you'd get in the car. Nobody liked sitting in the traffic, but it gave you a sense of purpose. You were going somewhere, like literally and metaphorically, you were going somewhere. That got taken away from everybody overnight. And then we've got these blurred lines from living, being at home, as well as working and being at home. You know, that commute also served as a break between work and between personal life. And and, and that's gone. And and has anybody actually taken the time to think and adjust? Like, how? what does that look like now? We, We don't have that. So when we have these, my clients saying to me, I want to change the way that I feel, This is what they're talking about. They want to change the way they feel, but it's putting your finger on. Well, what is that? And actually, that's a great question. What did change? What is it that you like about the change? What is it you don't like about a change? Because some people, I think you said to me the other day, Zoe, you know, you love being at home. You know, you. I do. Yeah. I love evenings in. I really do. Yeah. Somebody inviting me out just scares the life out of me now. <laughs> Especially exactly. when they yeah. say, we're going out at eight o'clock. <laughs> what? I'm in bed at nine. I'll only be I able know. to have one drink. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's go out at four and come home at eight. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's been a momentous change. And as we get back into the new normal, what I'm noticing, because in the coaching space, people become vulnerable, people share with me how they feel. And there's some real themes coming out. So the other theme that's coming out is people feel like alone or actually they believe that they're alone in this way of thinking, but it's not. You know, I have group supervision with other coaches where we share what's happening in the space. And there's a real theme where people are thinking, well, is it just me? You know, is it just me that actually wants to go to bed at eight o'clock in the evening? Is it just me that feels tied to the house? Or is it just me that's feeling demotivated? Is it just me that can't be bothered to go and hoover the car out? You know, and it's something that, you know, say one of my clients might have done that once a week before. Now they're like, I just can't be bothered. But it plays into professionally as well, because 
that's going to impact the organisations that they're working for because they also tell me they're demotivated at work. They can't be bothered at work. So I do a lot of work around okay, let's go back to what's brilliant about you because it's still all there. Circumstances, COVID, enforced new habits of staying at home changed how we have become. But it's not to say that we can't change it back. But habits are really hard to build. And that's because we've got all the old habits. It's actually the the old habits are the hard part because it's undoing them. But the only reason, I'm saying habits quite a lot, but the only reason it became so easy in COVID to build new habits was because it was enforced on us. Mm -hmm. We we had to do it. So very quickly we got into that habit, I don't know, of not showering in the morning, of working in our PJs, of, you know, whatever it might have been. I know that you touched on it there, but the demotivation, it is across the board, How do you find sort of employees and employers are tackling that? Or are they? Do you know what? Some organisations have a great, what I call a wellbeing scheme. You know, the scheme where they really look after the wellbeing of their people. And by that, I mean their people's ability to feel good, function well, so turn up and do a good job. But what's happening or what's missing is actually the employees will only go so far in terms of sharing with their employer what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And I know this because this is what my clients tell me. And also I know this because I worked in the corporate world for 20 years and there was definitely stuff that I would never have shared with my manager, with a director, with a HR person, because it's really personal. But it did have an impact on my ability to do my job day to day. Now, these people are investing in themselves. So they come to me and they have coaching with me and they work this stuff through for the better. But it's definitely impacting personally and professionally. I I can see it across the board, you know, people are demotivated to get stuff done. And so do you think, what what is it they call it? Silent leaving? Yeah, oh, oh completely. Like where, the, the, you know, people may be leaving organisations and the organisation will have no idea because these people would never, these employees would never disclose. There's a fact that sits behind, behind this, 48% of people, this was a Deloitte's report, will not disclose any mental health, poor wellbeing to their managers. You know, that's half half the workforce. Imagine you've got a team of eight, four people on your team. You don't know what's, what's, what's going on for them but it's a funny thing I call it the void age so it's like it's people that are generally 45 plus and that's generally where I coach uh, not purposely that's just where my clients the type of age they are when they arrive to work with me male or female but it feels like they just don't have a plan like they they want to change how they feel but they need to change what they're doing in order to change how they feel and I always like I started telling the story a little bit lately where even from age four you know, you're going to school at 16, you're taking exams at 18, it's college, it's, it's university. It's that first job. It's the first step on the career ladder. It's buying a house. It might be getting in a relationship. It might be marriage. It might be children. You know, it might be buying that new kitchen. It is, you know, it's all those things that you plan for that are kind of expected. There's a kind of life story that you're going to live out. And then suddenly around this age of 45 to retirement, I feel like there's a void there that like people aren't sure what they want anymore like and I think you're right I think from sort of 2021 you're striving for things yes and then you get to sort of mid 40s and you go okay what am I striving for now yeah and it's a bit monotonous it can be a bit monotonous because we can forget ourselves a bit with all the busyness of whether that's looking after older parents whether that's raising young children but it's that monotony of like what next so I I do some work with my clients you know when do you feel most alive tell me 
about when you have felt most alive or take all that energy and enthusiasm that you had maybe when you were 21 and putting into your career or whatever that might have been traveling the world what if you took all of that but piled on all the knowledge and experience and life experience you have now and put that into making a plan now you know what's the plan now 45 to retirement you might have another 15 20 years what does that look like and it doesn't have to be career related I'm not talking about careers I'm talking about you know, what was your favourite time in your life? And I was just, I was going through some old photos the other day and there's a picture of me sat on the top of Yosemite Falls in California. I'd done this eight mile hike. I'd got chased by a a load of bees. And, but I just remember that feeling of sitting at the top of that waterfall and like thinking, this is amazing. Like, I love this. And like, I want more of that in my life now. I want to do more travel. And yeah, I've got, my, my son is really important to me, but hey, traveling makes me feel alive so I'm he's going to come along for the ride I'm sure he won't be complaining but what is it that's important to you and what makes you feel alive and that question quite often is really hard to answer like what is important to you well I'm just sitting here listening to you (laughs) saying that and I'm thinking what is important to me and I suppose it is family it's being there for my daughter it's having those fun times with her you know I suppose that's it. <laughs> Is it really it? Like, and I'm not undermining what you're yeah. saying there. Well, it's one of the things it's that is important to me. Yeah. Absolutely. But what I really encourage is like, what else is important? So what is important? And then really like ask the question, why is it important? Why is it important? And really get down to what's important. Okay, so so another thing that's really important to me is hockey. Okay. And it shouldn't be because I'm terrible. I'm absolutely yeah. awful at it. Um, but I've been playing for years and I really sort of, you know, that question about what makes you feel alive. If I yeah. play well in a hockey game, that's it. Yeah. So you see how excited you sound when you talk about hockey and you remembered, like it wasn't an obvious thought to you. So yeah. imagine what else might be important to you. But do you remember how much COVID took away from us? How would you feel if I said, right, Zoe, no more hockey? taking that away from you yeah see I don't like that don't like that we none of us really liked COVID did we no but that feeling no we didn't really (laughs) there's a hangover feeling right off the back of COVID and it's really it's not easily solved it's just about taking some time to think or some time to talk and that that might be with a skilled professional it might just be with your friends it might be with your partner with family but ask those questions what do you love to do What's important? Where are you when you feel most alive? And how do you bring more of that into your life? So tell me, Zoe, what's important to you? So hockey, definitely. We go with that one for now. Okay. And why? Why is hockey important to me? It's, I suppose it's exercise. Um, I quite like the smugness after I've played a game of hockey. (laughs) Um, I like the teamwork. I like being with, you know, friends and chatting and trying not to warm up and (laughs) (laughs) all of those things. Okay. And and tell me some more. Why is that important to you? Why are all those things important to you? The the teamwork, the smugness, the... I suppose the camaraderie, you know, feeling like you're part of something, Mm -hmm. feeling like... Okay, I didn't score the goal, but I certainly helped it. Yeah. All of those things, that that winning feeling, that sort of happiness, I suppose. So camaraderie, winning, maybe scoring the goal. And why is that important to you? 
I suppose it's what makes me feel happy. Okay, so there you go. It's about the feeling. So all those things that are important to you equate to how you feel. Uh, but it's really important to dig into what's important to you because actually on the on the surface level, it's hockey, but actually it's teamwork, it's camaraderie, it's winning. Mm. And then it's thinking about in other areas of your life, when you're making decisions, for example, you know what's important to you. And to say, like if it was a business decision, it would be weird to say, well, hockey's important to me, but actually yeah. what you can take into your business business decisions you know with the full knowledge of what's important actually it's teamwork it's camaraderie it's winning so you don't want to be working on your own you want people around you that support you and you want to put forward propositions that get bought for example you know because that ties into what's important to you which ties into how you feel Uh, and like you said at the end you feel good in that environment so how do we change the way that we feel I mean, it's not an easy thing to change how we feel because you're going to have to change how you think and how we think are ingrained habits that have evolved over many decades of our lives. So, but there are some clear things that you can do. So first of all, there's language. So it's the language we use when we talk to ourselves. It's around looking at past evidence. So actually what has gone before, it's a little bit around How do we change how we feel, the environment that we put ourselves in and who do we spend time with? And again, looking at times when we feel most alive. So there's there's lots of different ways that you can do this, but it's kind of digging in and understanding a bit like, like what language do you use, for example? So this is, I'll always kind of give this example, but if you're using the words must and should, how can we change those to want and love? So, oh, I must clean the car to, I love to clean the car because then on the day trip tomorrow, it's going to be enjoyable to be in the car. So actually the motivation is about enjoying the road trip with the clean car rather than uh, I must clean the car, it's a chore. So I suppose it's the motivation rather than the task. Yeah, absolutely. I do this because it allows me to do that. Yeah, I love to do this or, you know, I want to do this rather than I must do this or I should do this. And then if we start using that language, I mean, if you listen out for how many times you say should a day, Mm. I should do this or should do this. And we'll say it to our kids and people around us as well. You should do that. You should do that. But actually, if you start using the phrase, I love to do this, I love to do that. It just feels different inside. So that language and then the reframe of the language, choosing different words to what you might use initially will help change how you think, which then helps change how you feel. Okay, so how do I change the way I think about ironing? Okay, (laughs) tell me what you think about ironing. Well, there's the ironing pile. Yeah. Yeah, it's covering a window now. Yeah. Uh, how do I feel about ironing? It's one of those jobs that I must and should get round to at some point. Okay, so tell me what ironing your clothes gives you. Freshly nice, presentable clothes. Okay, and what does freshly nice, presentable clothes mean to you? It means, I suppose, that I am feeling presentable to the world. Okay, do you love feeling presentable to the world? Yes, of course. Okay, so there you go. So when you go to the ironing, it's not like I must do the ironing. You go to the ironing pile and say to yourself, I love feeling presentable to the world. <laughs> I don't know if you've talked me into ironing, but yeah, yeah, I get it. So, I mean, that's it's not an easy thing to do because you have to. You have to really believe it as well. But actually, that's how you start to change your thinking because you're smiling now. When you first talked to me about 
ironing. I know you weren't really smiling, but you yeah. do love feeling presentable to the world, don't you? Yeah, of course. We've reframed how you think about it and it's given you a choice. You know, the choice is you can say, I must do the ironing or I love feeling presentable to the world. And you know what, Zoe, every time you iron now... I can guarantee you're going to think, I love feeling presentable to the world. (laughs) But how does it feel? Say it out loud. Say them both out loud. I must do the ironing. I love feeling presentable to the world. It feels different because you're changing your language and you're changing your thinking. And that's probably quite a surface kind of example. But it's just that. It is an example. I must do the ironing. I love feeling presentable to the world. You're right. It's like driving up to McDonald's. And trying to order a Happy Meal with a miserable face. (laughs) Yeah, you can't do it. (laughs) You can't do it. So they say that you only ever experience an event as traumatic when you choose to experience it as traumatic. Now, I know that's quite a big word. We've gone from Happy Meals to the word traumatic, but it's a choice of how we experience something. Yeah. So culturally, we we experience Mondays as doom and gloom start of the week, don't we? I've changed my thinking about that. I love Mondays. Like for me, Mondays are the start of the week. We've had a lovely weekend. My son's back at school. I've got freedom for the day. Like there's no doom and gloom on a Monday for me. So we can create these thought patterns ourselves from how we've grown up, from what we've seen, from what those, what we perceive as figures of authority have been, whether that was parental, whether that was, you know, carers, whether that was teachers. But they that starts to evolve our thinking pattern and what we believe around the world. And also cultural, you know, nobody was born thinking Mondays are a bad day. <laughs> they weren't, were they? No, right. <laughs> we, we've grown up with a culture where, you know, maybe our parents huffed and puffed because it was more of a labour era where there was more, you know, I know definitely like my dad went out and did a hard day's work and come Monday, he was huffing and puffing having to go back to work. So I grew up with that belief, but I've changed that belief now because, like I say, I love Mondays. I do. I quite like Mondays. I always catch up on loads of gossip on a Monday. Exactly. Um, And I get what you're saying. So it's switching that thing in your mind because you're told these things over and over and over again. And it's sort of undoing all of that. Lots of people are scared of spiders. Yes. I tell my daughter and always have... Spiders are our friends. Mm -hmm. They eat all the other bugs. Yeah. So they are good in this house. Yeah. And my other theory is if you talk to spiders, they'll do what you ask. So if you say, (laughs) stay in that corner, they will. But I think you're right. It's undoing that. But I've got friends of my daughter's who are petrified of them. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's always been sort of embedded in every story or household they're scary things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, she wasn't born. We aren't born with a fear of spiders. Mm-hmm. I did it with my son with um, sun cream, right? So you, you see any toddler, a parent trying to put suntan lotion on, the kid doesn't want it on. <laughs> I told him from birth, I know he couldn't understand me, but I called it tickle cream. Oh, really? He loves having his tickle cream on. I'm like, come on, it's time for tickle cream. He loves having tickle cream because that's what he's grown up believing, that the cream is ticklish, you know? So this is, and again, this is really important, by the way, how we talk to our children and the language that we use. I hear it all the time where like a parent will go and, you know, the kid will go, I want this. And they're like, it's I would like. But actually you listen to the parent, the parent will go, what do you want for tea? And then when the kid says, I want, like they're just repeating the language. So again, it's. I think we're going off track a bit, but I say to my 
son, what would you like for tea? Because then I expect I would like back rather than saying, what would you want? And then I get, I want back. But as I say, we, we digress. But but the point is being made that actually the language that we use is really critical to how we think and how we think is really critical to how we feel. And it's changing that voice in our brain from a sort of negative way of speaking mm-hmm. to a positive way of speaking. And I suppose flipping everything. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to suddenly become positive Pollyanna. You know, we're not saying that. That's not realistic. You know, we're all going to have hard days. We're going to have tough days, you know, but it's actually the awareness is really helpful because then at those times when we're not feeling so great, we can remember that we've got a choice about the language that we use, about who we surround ourselves with, about the environments that we work from, how, when we're making decisions, what's important to us, you know, so to come back around, like what's important to you? What do you love to do? What does the world look like when you feel alive? You know, what, what's around you? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Who's there with you? So how do we start to be kind to ourselves I know you've said about changing the way that we think so that that changes the way that we feel Mm -hmm. how else can we be kind to ourselves it's really individual and it's really personal how you be kind to yourself so for some people it will be making sure that they get enough rest for other people it will be doing a six mile run every day but again it's the important thing of figuring out what it is for you so for me For me personally, it's about making sure I get enough sleep. It's about making sure that I drink enough water. It's about making sure that I exercise. And they're just the basic fundamentals that I know that if I do those things, if I'm kind to myself, I will feel good. Yeah. And remember, it's about feeling good. Um, and, and sometimes I don't want to drink the two litres of water. I, ju- I want a glass of wine, you know. <laughs> but do you know how I, I reframe that to say I do this because I care about myself? I'm doing this because I care about myself and I'm number one. You know, the first thing I say to my son, if he says he's got a bit of a headache, I say, have a glass of water. So, so I, I repay myself with the same sort of grace and kindness. And that's what I say to other people as well. Like, why would you extend sort of this lovely grace and kindness to others? And what stops you from extending it to yourself? So it's around putting yourself first. You know, what do they say? Put your own oxygen mask on first. So that self-care is really important. You can't, pour from an empty cup I'm coming out of all the cliches here yeah. but, but you can't pour from an empty cup so absolutely yeah. but but the important thing is again is taking that time have a talk with somebody think about what it is that you need just as that basic self-care just on a day-to-day basis might be a massage once a month might be getting your hair done it, you know it could it could be the simplest things it could be binge watching your Netflix show once a week that's your self-care that keeps you feeling okay but individual to each, but just make sure that you spend spend some time thinking and understanding what it is for you. So it all starts with that question, what is important to you? Yes. And then just keep digging under the surface. Yeah, absolutely. Keep digging. And, and there's some other questions, like lots of other questions that I could, you know, throw at you, like what was your bravest moment? You know, when do you feel most alive? And, and, and it's about igniting all that stuff that's gone before, all the evidence, all the great stuff, all the goodness, and bringing that back to the surface and then making that the bigger part of your thoughts rather than the, oh, wasn't COVID bad? Oh, it's really hard or I can't be bothered to go and wash the car you know just tap into who you are tap into that 20 year old person or for some people it might be 30 year old person or it might be just the person that was there six months ago but tap into all that energy all that goodness it's all there for the taking I say we're all made for more I hope you got value from that 
And even if you take one small snippet away that makes one small change, remember the small changes add up to the big changes. 